Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time. Your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. From The Recount, I'm Rena Ninen, and you're listening to The Recount Daily Pod. Today is Monday, July 19th. Coming up later in the show. Why do we choose to have a kind of neo-feudal overclass that can essentially colonize space, but also just colonize public life? That was Anand Girdardas, author of Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World, and publisher of The Inc. Newsletter. We talked about wealth, power, and philanthropy. The super wealthy have an inordinate amount of power over public life through their charities. Is it good for society? We'll get into that a little later in the show, but first your morning headlines. We begin with COVID-19. In the U.S., cases are surging in all 50 states, reaching a national seven-day average of 28,000. It's actually the same as case rates back in April 2020. Hospital admissions are up nationally over 35 percent in the past week. The Biden administration dispatched U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy on the Washington Sunday talk shows to sound the alarm on social media posts and vaccine misinformation. He attacked big tech platforms for not doing enough to clamp down on false statements. The reality is that misinformation is still spreading like wildfire in our country, aided and abetted by technology platforms. Meanwhile, across the pond in the UK, all remaining COVID restrictions on social contact have been lifted as of today, while cases continue to surge with over 50,000 daily. That's the highest it's been since mid-January. This comes as the fully vaccinated UK Health Secretary Sajid Javid tested positive. UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson will now spend 10 days in isolation after coming into contact with Javid. In Japan, Tokyo citizens want the Olympics to be canceled. 80% of Japanese citizens are outraged that the games are still happening. Three cases of coronavirus were identified in the Olympic Village on Sunday. That's where the majority of athletes and their support staff are being housed. Outside the village, 17-year-old U.S. tennis star Corey Coco Goff announced on Twitter she tested positive for COVID and will be withdrawing from her first Olympic Games. 
Weather scientists call it a monumental failure of national authorities as cleanup continues from last week's historic rainfall that flooded western Germany. It's being called the worst natural disaster in 60 years, causing 188 deaths. That number is expected to rise. Authorities say as many as 1,300 remain missing. Some scientists say that they had warned officials days in advance of the deadly flooding, but because the government failed to warn the public, many German residents say they were completely unaware of the dangers. German Chancellor Angela Merkel described the flooding as terrifying and promised quick financial aid. Spyware made by Israeli company NSO has been found on the phones of journalists, human rights activists, business executives, and women who were close associates of murdered Saudi Arabian journalist Jamal Khashoggi. The investigation was conducted by the Washington Post and 16 other media partners. The military-grade spyware was purchased by governments around the world, originally meant to track terrorists and criminals. The phones appeared on a list of over 50,000 other phone numbers. The list was shared by Forbidden Stories, a Paris-based journalism nonprofit, as well as Amnesty International. It's unknown who wrote the list, why or how many people were targeted. Governments who purchase the spyware are contractually obligated to only target people for serious crime or terrorism. And now to our daily deep dive. There's been a lot of change in philanthropic circles this year involving names like Bill and Melinda Gates, Warren Buffett, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos. At the end of the day, the world of philanthropy is a very small club made up of a handful of very powerful, very rich players who make decisions that impact millions of people around the globe. To get into this, I'm joined by journalist and author Anand Girdardas. Anand, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. So when did it happen? When did all these rich people get to decide who goes into space, who gets research funding? How do they get godlike powers? It's a phenomenon that's unavoidable. To your question, when did this begin? The the birth of this kind of mega philanthropy by the people we would now call billionaires uh, began, you know, a hundred plus years ago, really, with the kind of Carnegie and Rockefeller and Cooper fortunes that were so big. People with those kinds of giant fortunes giving away money immediately raised this question of kind of the quasi-governmental power they would have over public life. And back then, 100 plus years ago, when you had the Rockefellers and Carnegies getting into these arenas and saying, I want to do this on this issue, I want to do this on that issue, there was a wise clamor that rose from the public that I will summarize as, who the hell are you? Who the hell are you to have a say over any area of public life? Who the hell are you? And then what happened, Rena, over the ensuing 100 years is people started to receive that money. The society started to receive that money through nonprofits and educational institutions and public radio and any number of other things. And in a sense, the society was collectively bribed into a silence about this money. We criticize billionaires for how they made their money. Sometimes we criticize them occasionally if they avoided taxes. But when it came around to this latter day generosity that in many ways is only possible because of all the wage theft and system rigging and tax avoidance that they do, somehow when it came to that philanthropic area, we gave them a free pass and we ignored the fact that A, the fortunes were so often ill-gotten and B, that the way in which the money was spent far from solving our biggest shared problems, deepened the central problem of our time, which is that these people have far too much undemocratic power over public life. 
What do you say to people who say, well, look at the Gates Foundation, how many millions and millions and millions of people they've helped vaccinate across the world. Some of them are, are doing good. What's wrong with that? That's how we have to understand someone like Bill Gates doing some good work in some areas out of a larger system in which someone like him has those kinds of outsized resources to make quasi-public decisions over public life, a system that allows his fortune to be possible, that allows that vaccination drive to be done by a private guy. Such a system is morally flawed. Such a system values the hoarding of resources before allowing people to keep their own teeth because they have dental coverage. And so we cannot allow the occasional successes of very rich people to distract us from the fact that the system allowing them to accrue those fortunes is morally indefensible. I want to ask you a little bit about that system because a lot of people really point to taxes. ProPublica did an analysis of tax data for 25 of the richest Americans. By the end of 2018, 25 of them were worth one point one trillion dollars. If you compare that, it would take 14 million ordinary American wage earners to sort of put together that same amount. And ProPublica also says that the personal federal tax bill for the top 25 in 2018, remember on that one point one trillion was one point nine billion. The bill for these wage earners, these regular Americans, one hundred and forty three billion dollars. How do they get away with it? It is a scam, but it's a legal scam. And legal scams are the most important to understand because those are the really, those are the big scams, right? And what ProPublica really brilliantly identified was a, a kind of meta scam. In this country, we tax billionaires on their income instead of on their wealth, which is like handing out medals at a pie eating contest based on people's shoe size. It's measuring the wrong thing. Billionaires' fortunes are not measured in the income they had. I mean, they don't generally work for a living. They don't have salaries. Like they, don't, they, they can make up salaries. But if you think about someone like Warren Buffett, the increase in resources he has every year is not income. It is the expansion of wealth through the accruing value of that wealth. The Increased resources you and I have every year is income. And so when we tax a Warren Buffett the same way you and I are taxed based on income, what a Warren Buffett will do is even as his fortune may expand by billions and billions of dollars in a year, he will essentially organize an income figure of his choosing. And they all do this. They can tell their accountant, I'd like this kind of income figure. And they can do any number of things to get an income figure they want. Income is literally just a thing that they set up for themselves. And so when we tax billionaires on income, we're, we're defrauding ourselves, actually. And so it's incredibly important, I think particularly coming into the pandemic where there was a lot more attention paid to this, to start talking very seriously in this country about a wealth tax. And a wealth tax that wouldn't just have people chip in or pay their fair share, the usual rhetoric you hear around these things from Senators Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and others. I think we need to start talking way more ambitiously about an erosive wealth tax that would make these fortunes smaller. But these billionaires have access to politicians. They fund campaigns. How do you ever see something like that really getting passed in Washington? 
well, you and I are talking about this and people will watch this and more people will hopefully talk about it. And maybe more people with a platform like yours will ask more questions about it. This was a topic that wasn't being discussed in the way you and I are discussing it in the mainstream media five years ago. There has been a big change. This is an issue of the wealth taxation where there's significant Republican lay people support for this, in addition to overwhelming Democratic support. Nothing important is ever popular at the beginning, but this is actually a pretty popular policy. If you wanted to find something bipartisan in this country, uh, a wealth tax might be it. The only people who don't want to do it are the people in Washington in those jobs, including on the Democratic side, many of them. And we have to overwhelm them with a public consensus so broad, so fervent, that they get in line and understand that either they enact these kinds of changes or we'll find people who will. So we've got these billionaires. They're part of this small, unelected club who are making decisions that impact the entire world. You mentioned taxes. Is there a better way to do this? Can foundations and philanthropists do a better job than the government itself? No. And this is one of the great myths. And you see it now with this space thing. People keep using this private billionaire spending, whether it's philanthropic or on space or whatever, as evidence that private money, private sector spending is so much more efficient than public sector spending. But, you know, thinking about a problem, like how do you have food in this country be safe when people go to eat it in a restaurant? That is a really hard problem of a kind that billionaires can't solve. And the government does a remarkable job every day without you and me thinking about it of solving a problem like how do we make sure that people when they get old and are no longer working don't die on the street from penury that's a really hard problem that billionaires don't solve and the government has solved thanks to social security and we don't necessarily think about all the time but keeps this country away from a certain kind of barbarism. Um, a problem like how do we use our institutions to empower women to play all the roles they can and want to play? How do we fight discrimination against black Americans? These are the kinds of problems that billionaires have shown very little efficacy in delivering against, but the government does remarkable work, can do better, can do much better, but does remarkable work through law and policy and institutions to advance those kinds of issues. So I actually like to turn around this question of efficiency because it's such a common talking point. I like to turn around back and say, which billionaire has done more for old people than Social Security? I'd love to, if there's a name, I'd love to hear. Which billionaire has done more for childhood hunger than government programs that feed kids in public schools? Which billionaire has done more for public health than Medicare and Medicaid? Which billionaire has done more for space than NASA? We have to stop this notion of government being on the defensive, needing to justify its existence, and actually put these people who make latte-finding apps for a living on the defensive. What is it exactly that you do? Well, we've got to take a quick break, but we'll be back with Anand Giyadardas on The Recount Daily Pod. Hey guys, Mario Lopez here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the trails. And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back, enjoy the wide open views with your whole family. 
Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit biotoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. At Consumer Cellular, you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers, but for up to half the cost. Same thing, up to half the cost. Up to half the cost for the same thing. 50% the money for 100% the same thing. I hope I'm making myself clear. Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Welcome back to the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from the Recount and iHeartRadio. We're here with author and journalist Anand Giardas. So Anand. What are some of the motivations behind giving? Is it purely generosity? No, absolutely not. There's a whole mix of motives. And by the way, the motives people have, in other words, what's in their heart, is less important than the effects of this giving. So in this stew, you have generosity, or at least the performance of generosity, the performance being a quite important aspect of it. Uh, I don't know, but I would guess, Rena, that when you have given generously to anything in your life, I bet you have not hired a PR firm to tell people that you've done that. But these people do do that. So that tells you a little bit about the level of generosity involved when your generosity comes with its own attached publicist. Um, I think some of the other motives are uh, a desire to use philanthropy as a drive-through reputational laundromat. The stench of how people made their money is acute. In many cases, if you're the Sacklers and you made your money from opioids, if you are Jeff Bezos and you made your money busting unions and avoiding taxes, uh, if you're Bill Gates and you made your money on a monopoly that was deemed illegal, you have a real reputational problem. And giving back, if leveraged correctly, if, if publicized properly, can wipe some of that reputational stink off you. It works remarkably. Uh, we would have very few art museums in America under the current way we do things without that motive of reputation cleansing. There's a further motive or at least effect of having further influence over public life. And this is where I, something folks really need to think about because you can say it's a, an act of kindness, at least they're doing something kind. The act of kindness comes with power, comes with real power. You're making decisions about who's on the board of your foundation, what 
diseases as your foundation prioritizing or not, which universities are getting money or not. Does Harvard need another $20 million check or would a community college? And the question I would raise for your viewers and listeners is, who are you to make these decisions? The decision about whether Harvard or a community college needs $20 million that should have actually been paid in taxes and wages is a public decision. And it's public not just because that money should have been paid as wages and taxes, but also because we chip in about half of that money as taxpayers. These folks get tax breaks. That $20 million that someone is donating to Harvard, they might get you know $10 million back in tax breaks by donating that. You know who that's coming from? That's coming from us. So we, you and me, are half of that donation, not just the two of us, sadly, but collectively, the people of the United States of America are chipping in about half of that $20 million donation. And unfortunately, we get no say in how it's spent. But when we actually try to make the world better through taxation, through government programs, through systems that are public, democratic, institutional, and universal, that solve the problem at the root for everybody, uh, you and I do have a say. And it's called democracy, and I believe it's worth defending. So when you talk about American philanthropy and the influence and effect on public life, where do you see this going? How do you see it being able to change into something that you believe is a better use for society? I think it is changing, and I'm very gratified by this. These were not the arguments people were making about the super wealthy in public many years ago. These were not the kinds of questions big media was raising several years ago. There has been a real shift in the narrative. If you look at the, the Branson space dialogue over the last several days, there were the usual billionaire simps kind of making, making a case for him and how wonderful it is that our glorious gilded overlords can now launch themselves into the ether. But there were a lot of people making arguments about taxes, making arguments about the government literally did this 60 years ago. Why is this being treated as so special? Arguments about why, why do we choose to have a kind of neo-feudal overclass? that can essentially colonize space, but also just colonize public life. It's a social choice to have billionaires. Billionaires exist at our pleasure. It is the courts you and I pay for that allow them to protect their resources. It is the police you and I pay for that allow them to guard their mansions. It's the roads you and I pay for that allow them to sell their goods and services. It is the public schools you and I pay for that allow them to have talented people to hire for their work, for their offices. And so we need to step up and realize that we don't live under these people. Like they live at our pleasure and we need to step up the fight for a fair society that recognizes that it is more important, first things first, that people have the rudiments of a decent, thriving life than it is to protect the sacrosanct right to hoard billions of dollars. And part of the reason we wanted you on today is because amidst COVID, we've noticed this growing chasm, the big divide in disparity between the well-to-do and not even the poor, just the people, middle-class Americans struggling to get by and how income inequality has just, that divide has grown. I'm so grateful you could join us for this conversation. But do you see that ever changing? I would say actually that thanks in part to the work of activists over the last many years who have changed this conversation a lot already, thanks to the Sanders and Warren campaigns, thanks to someone like AOC, Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York, there has been a real shift in this conversation. Thanks to writers from Thomas Piketty to any number of American journalists, including the ProPublica folks, who have really taken on this question. There is a groundswell 
that I perceive of public opinion questioning, not are they paying enough this billionaire class or, you know, is it too extreme questioning whether we should have billionaires at all. That is a real policy question that is being debated now in this country. And it's remarkable and good news that it is. And so I see, thanks to that activism, thanks to that advocacy, I see change. Even in the Biden administration, Joe Biden did not come to office as a foe of the billionaires in any way. And in many ways, he has not particularly been one. In the view of many people who've advocated for this for a long time, he is surprisingly down with their program, given who he is, not given where they are, given who he is. He has been persuaded or hemmed in by the logic uh, that these activists have pushed for years. And so when you look at his recent effort through executive action to crack down on corporate concentration and abuse of power, Barack Obama didn't do that. Bill Clinton didn't do that. Certainly Republicans haven't done that. That was a shift. I don't think that happened because Joe Biden had a religious conversion. I think it happened because those of us who want a fairer society, who think the American dream should be re-imported from Europe and spread in this country, uh, I think are winning the conversation. Anand Girdardas, author and journalist, thank you so much for joining us, Anand. Thank you for having me, Rina. And now to the look ahead. Here's what else we're watching today. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen meets with top U.S. financial market and business regulators to discuss the rules for stable coins. Stable coins are a new class of cryptocurrency that attempt to offer price stability through their backing by a national currency or precious metal like gold. There's a growing concern that there isn't enough government oversight to protect investors in stable coins, which now has a market value of over $100 billion. The largest stable coin, Tether, has faced scrutiny from regulators for not having the backing it claimed to have. A partisan showdown in Georgia over what Republicans are calling election reform and what Democrats call voter suppression. For the first time in 20 years, the Senate Committee on Rules and Administration will hold a field hearing, this one, in Georgia. According to Rules Chairwoman Senator Amy Klobuchar, witnesses will testify about recently enacted legislation to restrict voting in the state and the need for basic federal standards to protect voting rights. Republican state lawmakers are countering with the hearing at the exact same time on another topic, hate crimes. And the most important Muslim feast of the year starts today, Eid al-Adha, or the Feast of Sacrifice, commemorating Prophet Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son for God. The feast will last for three days. Thanks for listening. I'll see you back tomorrow morning. This is the Recount Daily Pod, a podcast from Recount and iHeartRadio. Our thanks to Anand Girdardas for being on the show. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the Recount Daily Pod or leave a rating on the Apple Podcast app. I'm your host, Rena Nainan. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.